Hello and welcome back to the European Shows. It's episode 32 and we're now basically at the penultimate episode as we obviously usually finish after the Champions League final and this weekend is the Champions League final. And to join me in looking back at the ends of the seasons of last weekend as well as the Champions League final is Nick as always. So welcome back Nick, how are you? Thank you very much. I'm quite well. I do suspect that uh, if the Champions League results don't go the right way, this will actually be the last episode, but uh, more on that later. Yeah, so the first place we will start is the showcase game, I think, of the whole season. It is the Champions League final. It's Manchester City versus Inter Milan in Istanbul. Um, To get to this place, obviously, Man City kind of dispatched Real Madrid in quite a comfortable fashion, Um, whereas Inter Milan... Well, Inter Milan as well just comfortably beat um, City rivals AC Milan to um, get to this point. And so, here, obviously, we are looking at the Champions League final. See, it's a final, anything can happen. But it's the fact that the teams that we're looking at who are against each other. It's Manchester City who, I think, this season are the best team in the world. That That's... I think that's quite you can quite comfortably say that against an Inter Milan team who, apart from in the Champions League and obviously in the Coppa Italia, have kind of not been that consistent in the league, and it it's it's not going to look it's obviously it's not going to be a bloodbath because obviously I don't think Inter Milan are going to allow themselves to be cut open by Manchester City, but I think everyone should brace themselves for probably the most boring game or most boring Champions League final ever. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we, we've had pretty boring uh, European finals already in the Europa and Conference Cup. But uh, I think we're looking at another very dreadfully boring, if I'm being perfectly honest, um, final here. I mean, like you said, Man City is a very possession-oriented team. They like to dominate. They like to really have all of the ball and enter. And Jaggi aren't stupid. They know this. If they try and beat Man City at a, at a possession and a control game, they're going to lose and they're going to lose badly. Uh, so they're going to do probably what they do best and really just lock themselves up and hit on the counter, which is not very fun to watch. It will maybe be effective, but it's not going to be particularly entertaining. But uh, So yeah, I, I, I agree that this is going to be probably a not very interesting game to watch. And that's something really crazy happens um, in the sense that, sure, maybe, um, who, who knows, maybe Inter take the lead early and then uh, Man City open up too much. I, who knows? It just doesn't look good. The issue we have here is obviously, obviously the whole thing could end up like it did two years ago when Manchester City go into this game, go into the game against Chelsea as outright favourites, and they ended up choking it badly to to a very poor Chelsea team. But obviously now it's the same team, or it's the majority the same apart from Erling Haaland. It's the same team who played in that final, so they've learned from these. Or from their mistake. Whereas this Inter team, none of them have any Champions League final experience. You know, obviously you have players who have played in the biggest game, in probably the only game that's bigger than a Champions League, and that's a World Cup final in their squads. You've got like Lautaro Martinez and um, Marcelo Brozovic. But obviously this is a lot different to what you're going to experience now. If it, as we said, if it's going to pan out like the games that we've seen, the other European finals that we've seen so far this season, it seems to be that there will be one team that just defends for their lives, but it could end up being that one team that defends for their lives and it ends up winning. Obviously, in the Europa League final, they both kind of did it. <laughs> um, 
and obviously that went to penalties. And then in the Conference League final, which we also get onto in a bit, um, Fiorentina or West Ham defended for their lives really for most of the game, and they ended up winning. And most importantly, Inter have a Croatian player. Um, I forgot I forgot the exact stat, but it's been a very long time since a team uh, without a Croatian player won the Champions League. Therefore, uh, Pep Guardiola's. Guardiola is also aware of this, hence why Manchester City want Mateo Kovacic. But this is obviously me searching for reasons to be hopeful that Inter Milan can win. Because obviously Manchester City are one game away from the, winning the treble. Um, regardless if you say that makes them the best team ever or not, um, that shouldn't matter. But um, they're one step away from doing stuff or from doing something that no one, or apart from Manchester United, has ever done before. Um, so obviously they want to go forward with this, but it could also be a case that the pressure will get to them. You know, they'll, this is the last game to achieve that piece of history, but it's in the competition that they probably have the worst relationship with, as they have constantly been known to throw the games away. And it's been like that time and time again. We obviously mentioned the Chelsea one. There was last season against Real Madrid, but they were by far the better team, but obviously Real Madrid turned it round. I know it was the year before that when they lost uh, against Lyon in that one-legged tie, and then it was Tottenham when they threw it away again with the VAR. So it's con- their relationship with this com- competition is frankly shit, and obviously they need to win and, and get this over the line to not only get rid of these demons that they have, um, but to help themselves. Well, it's the same thing. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be very, very difficult. Um, for it. Well, I think it's going to... Obviously, it's a final. It's going to be difficult for both teams. Um, for Inter Milan, I think it's going to be difficult on the footballing side of things because of the Goliath they're against. Whereas for Manchester City, most of these players, something can happen and they'll start to think, oh, no, it's happening again. And then they'll start to panic. Um, we've seen it in the past, teams do it. Barcelona being the prime example when obviously they threw away the Champions League lead against Roma and go out in the last couple of, or in the in the second leg in an embarrassing manner. Then a year later, they do the exact same thing again against Liverpool. So these things are entirely possible and, and could potentially happen. Um, but for me, the most important thing is my mental health because if Manchester City do end up winning, as Nick said, this there won't be another episode. I mean, it was about time I got my my own solo episode, but uh, I I would love to fill in for you uh, covering that uh, the the Man City treble win. I would stick my head in the sand and I will not take it out again until God knows how long. Um, so obviously now the prediction. Nick, what is your prediction for this game? I mean, I obviously see Man City's favourites. And um, they've shored up their defense against counterattacks. That used to be like the way to score against them uh, back in the day. But uh, but now with their new shape of the rest defense, it looks so strong. I think my prediction is that Inter look unlikely to score. So I'm giving it a 2-0 Man City. I'm obviously not going to predict Manchester City to win. Um, it's going to be a boring game. It's going to be a, a, a tightly contested game. I imagine it will probably end up finishing 1-0 to, to Inter, but 
it will not be in normal time. I imagine it, it will go to extra time and that's how Inter Milan will get their goal. Because obviously, I'm not saying Manchester's, or if we're talking about strikers specifically, Inter have greater depth and better strikers. Obviously, City have Erling Haaland. City <laughs> have Erling Haaland and then there's Julian Alvarez. But then for Inter, yeah. they, they have Lautaro Martinez, who, despite what he did in, at, the, at the World Cup, where he single-handedly tried to stop Messi from winning it, um, Lautaro Martinez is a big-game player. And then, obviously, you have Edin Dzeko, who, obviously, yes, he may not be world-class, but he is a very good striker, and I don't think you can dispute that. And then, obviously, Romelu Lukaku, who, on his day, which this could be his day, He, he's very yeah. good. Okay, Julian Alvarez on his own is already better than all three strikers you've mentioned. Maybe not Lautaro Martinez. Maybe they're contestable. But the thing is, City's backup striker is already better than all of Inter's strikers. Like, like that's just the way it is. I find that very hard to, to agree with. Haaland obviously is miles ahead of the others. Um, but I think Alvarez is a lot closer. In fact, he's probably within the other two. Now, we will obviously look at the other UCL final, um, the Conference League final, where we saw Fiorentina play West Ham in Prague. Um, this also proved to be, like the Europa League final, a completely terrible game. Fiorentina dominated in the first half, and they even had a goal ruled out from Luka Jovic, who Nick actually forgot played for Fiorentina. So Jovic had a goal disallowed just before half-time. Um, West Ham then had a penalty in what was a very, well, well, a surprise, a very controversial penalty about whether it should be a handball or not. Um, obviously, it ended up being given. Um, scored by side Ben Rama. Then Bonaventura equalised quite soon afterwards for Fiorentina and the game became quite boring once again. And then West Ham scored on the counter in the 90th minute to win it. Uh, Jared Bowen scored. And West Ham won their first European trophy in over 50 years. It also means now they have more European trophies than Manchester City. Um, there's not really a lot to say about this final. Because as we mentioned, it was really fucking boring. Uh, Fiorentina tried to dominate, or dominated, if we're talking in terms of possession. and they, But when it came to in front of goal, they were just rather poor. And obviously West Ham's idea to just sit back and defend obviously ended up working as well so clearly Jose Mourinho has to take a leaf out of David Moyes' book um, when it comes to how to pull off parking the bus West Ham are now the second time winners of the um, Conference League Roma are obviously the first team to win it West Ham now going to the Europa League next season obviously they were in the Europa League last season as well um, they even made it to the semi-finals but Obviously, they lost to eventual winners Eintracht Frankfurt. Um, so, I doubt West Ham are going to be as good in the Europa League next season as Roma were this season. And obviously, it does kind of like there's still a lot of debate about the Conference League and whether, for me personally, it's only been around two years. And so, when you say the Conference League, it doesn't hold as much prestige as obviously the Champions League and the Europa League. What we see here is a way for teams that no, won't normally make it into like the, the latter ends of the Europa League and especially the Champions League, they have a chance at a European trophy, regardless of whether you say how 
where there is a major major trophy like the likes of the Europa League and stuff. But clearly, it, it obviously means something to these teams that they're able to get to this far and actually come away with something. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I guess that's what the Conference League is for. So that's, um, well, yeah, like you said, these teams that don't usually rock the big stage um, do get some time in, in the spotlight. And obviously, it, it doesn't mean as much as the Europa League, but it's, it's still a cool achievement. Um, so now we'll have our break and then we'll be back with um, a wrap-up of the leagues that finished at the weekend. Welcome back from our break. We'll now just kind of give you a quick run-through of all like the important things that happened this weekend. And so, in a different running order, we're going to start with Belgium. Because Belgium proved to be the most exciting. And it, it was interesting to say the least. So, going into the game, Antwerp were top. They needed to avoid losing against, club, against Genk and hope Union Saint-Gerard don't win. Um, and then they win the league. So, oh, we get to half-time. Genk are winning 1-0 against Antwerp. Saint-Gerard drawing 0-0 with, with Bruges. That means Genk are going to win the league because Genk also have a say. If they if they win and results go their way, they win the league. Right after half-time in the Union Saint-Gerard game, USG take the lead. And they're, okay, Saint-Gerard are top now. Antwerp then equalise, which means Antwerp are now top again um, in the Genk game after half-time. Then Genk score again to make it 2-1. And so that means Saint-Gerard go top again. And then, this is where the spanner gets thrown into the works. In a very comfortable... Saint-Gerard were comfortable throughout this game. Club Rouge were kind of just not, like, really doing anything because they obviously had nothing to play for. Then in the 89th minute, Club Rouge equalise to make it 1-1 in Saint-Gerard, which then means Genka winning. Then, Nick's favourite player ever, Noah Lang, who... For, for a bit of context... For a bit of context, I text Jack, and I'm like, Jack, oh my god, it's finally happening. Union saint are sitting top of the table at this point in time. And this moron texts me, watch Noah Lang win it for Bruges. And I'm like, There's, don't say that. And like three minutes later, Noah Lang scores. I, 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 almost, I would almost travel to where you are and like kick you in the nuts. So Noah Lang scores in the 93rd minute to make it. 2-1 to get or Club Rouge, which means Genk are going to win the league. And what's funny is throughout this whole time, there's a helicopter just flying back and forth between Brussels and, and, and Genk taking the trophy. Just before the end in, in Bruges, they'd score again to make it, or in, in Brussels to make it 3-1 to Club Bruges. And this is where it gets interesting. And obviously there's always nice stories in football of a player going back to the club that they'd started at and helping them do whatever. Toby Alderweireld joined Antwerp in the summer on a free transfer and he is from Antwerp. Um, he never actually played for Antwerp because he moved to Ajax beforehand. In the 94th minute, Toby Alderweireld wasn't even a header, took like a shot outside of the box. I w not in the same vein as Vincent Company when he scored against Leicester. It wasn't as good, but still, he took his 
Hail Mary shot and it goes in to make it 2-2 to make Antwerp winning the league. And it's the first time Antwerp win the league in I think something like over 50 years. So they are, they also win the... This also solidifies the double because they won the cup earlier on. Um, really? Um, and and Saint-Germain, with their loss against Bruges, kick themselves out of... I think it's the Champions League place and it turns out they actually do make the Europa League even though we were unsure of that at the start. So, <laughs> this is the second year now, in a row, that Saint-Germain have in a way cucked themselves because it was in their hands. All they had to do was probably score another goal against Bruges and that would have settled it. They would have won the league for the first time in over 90 years. But they got they got complacent and they got punished for it. And will they ever learn? <laughs> what, what I saw this year was more positive in the sense that uh, unlike last year where they began really strong and petered out throughout the season this season is the opposite uh, they began quite badly which is obviously not ideal but then um, they kind of got back into it and then they really pushed for the title literally until the last dying minutes of the season and so this is kind of a more positive change where instead of choking you're kind of pushing your um, your opponents obviously ideally they'll begin strong and end strong but um, they're kind of like this cultural change of not quite choke obviously they did eventually choke it like category, like right at the end of the game, sure, but um, but like the consistency throughout the season was different this time, like the overall trend. So I do see this as a positive development. Um, obviously, it's difficult as a quite recently promoted team to um keep up this level of consistency and this level of game throughout uh, multiple seasons. So if they can make it three seasons in a row, getting to that top four playoff spot, it'd be very impressive. But um, yeah, I mean, I think I think they have a good chance of it again next year. But uh, it's a matter of if they can keep the momentum up and not lose too many of their good players. Um, and for Antwerp, it obviously shows the work or the fact that Mark van Bommel has managed to revive his career after a terrible time at Wolfsburg. Um, he's obviously came in and obviously Antwerp have changed a lot. They made some good signs. They obviously brought in um, Mark Overmars as well as the new sporting director when he got sacked from Ajax. But yeah. That's it for Belgium, because that's the only thing that really happened. But obviously it's quite important. In Italy, nothing of interest in the top of the table. What we have here is a relegation playoff on Sunday between Spezia and Hellas Verona. I don't know how exactly they are um, tied, but they're definitely level on points. Um, I don't know how the tiebreaker works in Italy regarding everything else, but they will be a tiebreaker and a, a playoff, in fact, game between the two to decide who gets relegated, um, which I think is quite interesting. And I'm not sure when was the la when the last time that was that actually happened. Um, so yeah, now we will look at the relegation in La Liga. Uh, yeah, indeed. So uh, in the end, in La Liga, we saw Valencia save themselves um, by drawing one-one with Betis in um, in a dramatic game, which well, first of all, saw Valencia. Instantly losing right off in the first minute, um, Ayosi Perez scored, making it look not very good for uh, for Valencia. But uh, then Diego Lopez equalized late into the second half, and then things got quite tense. Uh, Yunus Musa just got directly red carded, and the fight breaks out uh, a bit further on, and suddenly three yellow cards just start flying left and right. Um, but the draw was uh, enough to um, to save Valencia. But uh, even if they hadn't uh, won. 
um, they would have been safe as um, Baidolid, who were already in the relegation zone, didn't manage to escape after drawing 0-0 with also relegation rivals Getafe. Um, I mean, the game wasn't particularly interesting. I think Getafe, who weren't really in danger of... I mean, they could have been relegated, but uh, they were they were not in the relegation zone. They just kind of bunkered down and played for the draw because, I mean, if if they got a draw, they'd be fine. So with that, by the lead, joining Española and Elche in a second division. Um, more interesting results, if you can call them interesting, the season ended. Um, Celta Vigo beat Barcelona 2-1. Um, uh, uh, Real Sociedad beat Sevilla also 2-1 um, funny again Sevilla are completely mediocre in, in the league after being Europa League champions uh, Real Madrid beat Athletic Club 1-1 That's, nope they didn't beat them they drew 1-1 and um, of course Atleti drew 2-2 choking second spot um, against Villarreal with some controversy uh, as was raised on the Atletico Madrid Twitter with a to be fair quite obvious handball but yeah, with that, um, top three are Barca, Real Madrid, uh, Atleti, with uh, Real Sociedad completing the um, Champions League spots. And in bottom spot, relegation, we have Elche, Espanol, and Baudelid. Staying on La Liga, but it kind of crosses over with what we'll talk about next. Saudi Arabia are coming. And they're coming for all the good washed-up players now in the league, or in every league. And this was after revelations, just before the Real Madrid's last game, it's the fact that Karim Benzema was going to leave the club at the end of the season. Um, his contract was actually set to expire. There was reports he had like a, another ex- uh, ability to extend by a year, um, but he but he decided to chase the bag and go to Saudi Arabia, where he played for Al Ittihad. He's not the only one, though. There's rumours that Luka Modric may go to Saudi Arabia as well. Um, Engolo Kante is very likely to join Benzema in Al-Etad. Um, obviously, Cristiano Ronaldo is already in Saudi Arabia. And there's also reports of every basically every other player that seems to be out of contract is potentially going to move to Saudi Arabia. Um, Angel Di Maria, there's rumours that he could end up there as well. Um, then there's obviously the likes of Sergio Busquets, who could end up there, Jordi Alba, who could end up there. And then Sergio Ramos, who just somehow decided to leave PSG before their last game of the season. It doesn't. No one knows where he's going to go, but personally, I think he's probably going to end up in Saudi Arabia as well. Um, clearly, this is Saudi Arabia's attempt to become like the Chinese Super League. But unlike with the Chinese Super League, these aren't like corporations. This is a whole government back thing. Because before all this, like revelations about these players being linked to Saudi Arabia clubs, it was announced that the four biggest teams in Saudi Arabia, Al Nasser, Al Hilal, Al Itad and one other, were all being taken over by PFI, who are the same group that owns Newcastle United. And so that's why suddenly they're able to offer these vast amounts of money. Clearly something this is just another to put it frank this is obviously sports washing. This is even more blatant than obviously the likes of Qatar, the UAE. Saudi Arabia don't even give a shit anymore. <laughs> They're just throwing money at stuff to, to get these players to come and try and boost the image of the league. But I just don't think it's really ever going to work. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like retirement leagues will always be known as retirement leagues. Like, 
back back in like the early 2010s when like everyone was going to the MLS, people didn't begin watching the MLS. People would just go, oh, the MLS is a retirement league, full stop. Because like at the end of the day, players in the prime are never going to play in Saudi Arabia or the US or anything. So that's really what the, what the what the interesting thing is. Like same with China, also tried doing something similar, but no one would like go like, yeah, you know what? I want to see Marek Hamzik in the um, in the Chinese league. Like why would you do that? Uh, it just it just gives your league a, a reputation for being a, a like a like a retirement league, and that's maybe actually worse than um than than just like living as your own league because people won't watch it anyways, and you alienate your native fan base. So it just it just doesn't make sense, really, um, or it's more like more than not that it doesn't make sense. It's just a futile effort. Obviously, everyone knows what Saudi Arabia's idea is. The whole aim is the twenty thirty World Cup. Whether that actually be held only in Saudi Arabia, or obviously they're going to try, I think, hold it with Greece and Egypt, which in itself doesn't make any it makes, sense. It makes no sense. So they're clearly up to something, and it's obviously not. If you want to build a First of all, the quality of football in Saudi Arabia is not good. Throwing money at these players who are coming to the end of their career, who are clearly only doing it for the money, is not going to improve the quality of the league. If you want to improve the quality of the league, you obviously have to invest money in all the other infrastructure around Saudi Arabia and all the players and stuff um, coming up. I know, I've read that Saudi Arabia football is a growing sport in Saudi Arabia, so there's obviously interest there. Um, but if you want to reap the rewards of that and you want to become a reputable league, as you've said, you don't throw money at it. You're going to have to deal with the long haul of it all and you're just going to have to play it out, invest in the infrastructure, grow talented players who can then do it in the top five leagues in Europe um, and then try and benefit off that and then slowly but surely you're trying to attract the better players obviously you will never attract players in their prime but you try and attract better quality players and slowly but surely you gain reputation and then maybe one day the Saudi Arabian League can be of the same quality as Switzerland or whatever but it would never reach the heights of the big of the top five leagues yeah like like at the end of the day the MLS nowadays it's still not very well respected, but there is talent that comes from there because they, they've, they're beginning to develop their youth system and they're beginning to like take young players more seriously instead of like drowning the league with old retired players. They kind of make space for, uh, for younger players and develop them. And now there's been quite a few coming from the MLS to Europe. Most of them suck, but still, like at least it's a, it's a change in philosophy and it's a different way to look at the MLS and that's really kind of the best way to do it really. So Saudi Arabia are obviously trying to pump all this money in and try and accelerate the process so they can be like, oh, we can hold the, host the World Cup in 2030. But I really don't think it's going to work. And in five years' time or stuff, you'll look back and it'll be the same as the Chinese Super League. So you'll be like, oh, do you remember when they threw all this money at this and it just didn't work out? I mean, I think it's possible for, for their bid attempt to work, but it won't be because they invested in their league. I will not elaborate on that, but... Uh, but... Uh, <laughs> But uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, no, I, I do agree. Like, it will end up like this Chinese Super League. Like, it's just, oh, wow. It's it's the league where players go get lots of money. But it's not interesting. Like, no one would intentionally go watch that. Like, why would you do that? But one man who, for some God knows reason, turned down the Saudi money is Lionel Messi. Um, obviously, Messi was leaving PSG at the end of the season. It was unknown whether he'd go back to Barcelona because of how much money 
or their money issues. And obviously Messi ended up speaking to the media and he made it known that he wanted to go back to Barcelona, but their financial situation meant he couldn't go back now. He would have to wait with a lot of things and apparently Barcelona have to cut people's jobs and stuff. That's how bad the financial situation is, as well as selling players. And Messi didn't want his name to be associated with that because obviously he has a good relation with some of these people because obviously how long he spent at Barcelona. And so now Messi has decided to go to Inter Miami. Um, I think this now obviously closes the chapter of the Ronaldo and Messi era. We are now entering a new paradigm of um, players of who, who will be the best in the world. Um, obviously, for it's always been into Miami. There has been no other team that Messi could actually go to or probably wanted to go to because obviously Messi has a home in Miami. I think there's a large Argentinian population in Miami and obviously it's the weather's nice most of the year as well. Um, apart from if there's a hurricane. But um, what's interesting about this is obviously if you turn down the Saudi money, you're going to have to make it up somehow. And the MLS, this may be... I don't know if this is going to be as as a transformative signing as David Beckham because um, obviously Messi's playing for David Beckham's franchise but the MLS have had to throw a shit ton of money at this and it involves Messi taking a percentage of subscription fees for the season pass for at the MLS rights holders Apple TV um, he also gets a percentage of shirt sales because obviously who does the kits at the MLS, Adidas, what's Messi, an Adidas athlete. And he also has the opportunity to create a MLS franchise when he retires. Um, it's a lot of money to start an MLS franchise. Um, so Messi will get it at a cup price deal, which is similar to what happened with uh, David Beckham. Obviously, this is great for the MLS because obviously you have the best player ever. You're gonna, He's going to be playing. But yeah, as, as we've said, Although the MLS does good things about developing youth, part of it is still known as a retirement league, as we are seeing here. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a surprising move in terms of it's neither a money move nor continuing in Europe. So it's a it's a strange in between. Um, I mean, yeah, like like Jack said, it's it's probably quite relaxed for him because it's quite an easy league, and uh, it's a nice it's a nice life. But it definitely does come as a surprise. Uh, there was rumors that maybe um, <laughs> Inter Miami would loan him back to Barcelona, but um, Fabrizio Romano has said nothing on the subject, so I would consider it sp- purely speculation. But uh, it would certainly be a fun, fun alternative. And to top the whole saga off, Barcelona, when they Messi announced his move, posted the most saltiest statement they could, saying that they were unhappy that Messi basically didn't want to wait for them to try and sort out their situation and basically said um, we're aware that he wants less pressure to be in a league with less spotlight and less competition and stuff um, so now we will have a break and then we'll be back with everything else that happened
Uh, welcome back from our anthem break where you just heard the Inter Milan anthem. Nick, what do you rate it out of 10? It's a very strong song. It's quite fun. It is quite blatantly another song, which I forgot the name of, with different lyrics. But it's still like very fun. Bigger 8 out of 10 vibes. Um, mine will be on a sliding scale, depending on the result on Saturday. At this moment, it is on a 7. If Inter, refu- if Inter lose, it's going to be a 0. So depending when you listen to this, it's either a 7 or it's a 0. So, Liga. Um, we obviously briefly mentioned the fact that Messi's leaving, Ramos is leaving, everyone's leaving, but obviously Mbappe, Christophe Gautier is even leaving. Um, and there's rumours that Julian Nagelsmann will take over at PSG, which, if there's one job that's worth it, worse than managing Bayern Munich, is managing PSG. Um... What's funny 
In classic PSG style, they lost the last game of the season against Clermont Foot 3-2, meaning Lons only finished one point behind them. So, in the game early on, or a couple of, around a month or so ago, if Lons won, and obviously everything continued as it did, Lons would have won the league. So I think this once again shows, obviously, how shit PSG are, um, or have been this whole this whole season. Um, a big last Jonathan David watch, he did not score in the final game of the season, but he finishes third in the goal-scoring rankings on 24 goals. He finishes three behind second-place Lacazette and five behind first-place Kylian Mbappe. And finally, we finish with, obviously, the relegation playoff in the Bundesliga. Stuttgart beat Hamburg 3-1. There was a brief moment, as in brief, 10 minutes, where Hamburg thought, you know what, we could actually pull off a comeback here and get promoted. But they kind of capitulated and Stuttgart showed why the drastic difference they made under Sebastian Hörner's compared to their previous four other managers or whatever it was. So yeah, obviously we mentioned the discourse previously about the playoff and why maybe you shouldn't have it. But yeah, Hamburg, I think, are now officially confirmed as they are a second tier team now no matter how large of a fan base they have they are comfortably a second tier team they're no longer some like giant that's fighting for struggling to fight for promotion no they are they are as much as a second division team as Dusseldorf are now um and it's obviously now a sickly year that they will try and get promoted so thank you for listening um, please like us, follow us, subscribe. Um, you may hear from me next week, you may not. Depends what happens. Um, you will absolutely hear from Nick. It would depend whether I can get out of my deep, dark hole if the results go against me. Um, so, yeah, we will be, oh, we will see you next week. Yep, thank you very much for listening. And um, I would say we hope you enjoyed the Champions League final, but considering it's probably only quite boring... I'll say it anyway. We hope you enjoy the Champions League final. See you later.